there is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. So, the first episode of the series proper, and uh, a new a new narration from Rod Sailing for the episode one for the angels. Now, I've got to admit, I'm not sure how much mileage I'm going to get from this one. There's not much out there in the way of trivia, and as Twilight Zone episodes go, it's not one that many people hold up as being one of its landmarks. But I think if I'm going to be tackling the series episode by episode, this is going to happen sometimes. Some really lend themselves to discussion or critique, uh, while others not so much, but... Uh, We'll see how we get on. Now, I think there's an idea of the Twilight Zone, you know, a a sort of idealised version that we all hold in our head. It's probably different for all of us, depending on our favourite episodes, but I think if you ask the average fan which episodes typify the show, you'll probably hear a lot of the same few episodes coming up over and over. Things like Time Enough at Last or Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. And I think, again, if you ask the average person to describe some of the characteristics of the episodes, they're bound to say twist endings. Now, they're definitely there in the series for a lot of episodes, but possibly not as many as uh, a lot of people seem to remember. Special July cleanup sale. Lovely things. Calamine lotion. Good for sunburns. Mr. Furry. How about binoculars? Street scene. Summer. The present. Man on the sidewalk named Lou Bookman. Age 60-ish. Occupation, pitchman. Lou Bookman. A fixture of the summer. A rather minor component to a hot July. A nondescript, commonplace little man whose life is a treadmill built out of sidewalks. But in just a moment, Lou Bookman will have to concern himself with survival. Because as of three o'clock this hot July afternoon, he'll be stalked by Mr. Death. So One for the Angels was first broadcast in October 1959 written by Rod Serling and directed by Robert Parrish who was a feature film director and an Oscar winning editor too. Now this is one of those episodes that doesn't really fit into the twist ending category. It's more like Rod Serling's take on a Frank Capra movie. It's a wonderful life via the twilight zone if you like. It's you know the average man having a brush with the fantastic rather than a tale that's set up to lead us down a path to a twist and we'll speak more about that later but i'll just set this one up first so as rod sailing says lou buckman's a pitchman a street seller who plies his trade of toys and tires and curios out of a suitcase by the by the side of the street interestingly one of those toys being a robbie the robot toy another connection there to forbidden planet 
after Earl Holliman starred in the first episode. Now from the get-go, the show is showing us that Lou Buckman's perhaps not the best salesman in the world. He's either past his prime, but more likely he was never really that good in the first place. So we see him standing there next to a building after what looks like an unsuccessful day. Now unbeknownst to him, standing watching him and taking notes is a very businessman like Mr. Death. Very smart, impeccably dressed, and much like Rod Serling at that time. And as Rod Serling says, Buckman has a meeting with Death at 3 o'clock. Now we have a little moment there where Mr. Death breaks the fourth wall and looks at the audience, which is obviously supposed to give them a little start. It seems a little hokey now, but I like to think things don't really date in the Twilight Zone, they just become more charming. Lou Buckman is played by Ed Wynn. Now I remember him most from Mary Poppins, but he was in plenty of other things around that time too. I believe he played the Mad Hatter in an adaption of Alice in Wonderland as well. Very quirky little man, very nat naturally comical voice. And it's not just that the script was written and he won the part, it was very much written for him by Rod Sailing because Sailing wanted to work with him. Now Wynne was getting older at this point and the prospect of speaking, you know, Rod Sailing's very sharp dialogue was a little intimidating for him in what was essentially a two-man piece but Sailing talked him round and I think uh, Wynne acquitted himself quite nicely. Now the other main player is Murray Hamilton who plays Mr. Death. Obviously we all remember him as being the mayor from Jaws and here he plays Mr. Death as I've said very smart and businesslike. Now Lou goes home and we see he's obviously very beloved by the local kids. He even goes so far as to give away some of these toys that he couldn't sell earlier on for free. And again we're seeing the groundwork for a very Capra-esque protagonist, the good-hearted man who isn't really aware of how good he is. He just is. Now Lou goes into his apartment which is exactly the kind of apartment you'd expect this kind of crumpled little man to inhabit. Very small, lots of knickknacks everywhere, very homely. But just as he's pottering around his apartment, he turns round to find Mr. Death sitting there. Now, initially, Mr. Death doesn't let on who he is. In his business-like fashion, he's just making sure he's got the right person. And in Lou Buckman's typical fashion, he doesn't register alarm that there's someone in his apartment. He just remembers Mr. Death from the sidewalk earlier and thinks that maybe he wants to buy something. And during this meeting, a little girl called Maggie from the neighborhood comes in and we, we further see what an obvious fixture of the local community Lou Buckman is. You can imagine that everybody in the neighborhood knows him and likes him. And in this case, he fixes the little girl's toy robot. But not only does it establish that, but it also establishes that the little girl can't see Mr. Death. Then there follows a nice little two-hander between Lou Buckman and Mr. Death where Death explains why he's there. And what I like about it is how in this brief scene he establishes some of the little rules surrounding Death and some of the loopholes by which you can perhaps escape it temporarily. Now don't you think you'd better start making your arrangements? Arrangements for what? For your departure. My departure where? You still don't get it. I just never will understand you people. You get the idiotic notion that life goes on forever. And of course it doesn't. Everyone has to go sometime. Go? You mean... That's right. And what I further don't understand is how little you appreciate the nature of your departure. Think of all the poor souls who go in violent accidents. 
These are the non-precognition victims. We're not permitted to forewarn them. You, Mr. Bookman, fall into the category of natural causes. There are three major categories of appeals. One is hardship cases. Now, do you have a wife or family who uh, might suffer beyond a reasonable point your demise? No. No family, no. The second category is priority cases, uh, statesmen, scientists, men on the verge of discoveries. I, uh, I take it you're not working on any major scientific pursuit at the moment. No, no. Now, the last loophole is the unfinished business rule. Does somebody have something they've always wanted to achieve that death is going to stand in the way of? It needs to be something that's possible, something that the person can accomplish within a reasonable amount of time. Well, there is one thing. What is it, Mr. Bookman? Well, between you and me, I I never made a truly big pitch. I mean, I mean a, a big pitch. A pitch big enough to, for the skies to open up. You know, a, a, a pitch for the angels. Of course, that wouldn't mean very much to you, but it would mean a great deal to me. It would mean that for one moment in my whole life, I would have done something successful. It would mean that maybe, that maybe the children would be very proud of me. So, eventually Luke convinces Mr. Death to let him try and make that pitch. But... Lou double-crosses him. As soon as death has agreed, Lou Buckman vows that he's never going to make another pitch again. If he can't pitch, he can't make his pitch for the angels and he can't die. Up until now, the episodes had quite a light and comedic tone to it. Death might be serious, but he's not particularly intimidating. He's a, he's a bureaucrat. He's somebody there to cross the T's and dot the I's. And in terms of the episode, he's kind of like the straight man to Edwin's mildly comic portrayal of Buckman but that changes quite suddenly with the sound of a a car skidding to a halt outside now the thing is when someone is scheduled to die someone has to die so potentially Mr. Death is going to take Maggie instead Maggie is hurt in an accident and Mr. Death has an appointment to take in at midnight and it's during this scene after Maggie's been hit by a car that we realise that she too can now see Mr. Death. Now like I say, this shift to a darker tone is quite sudden and suddenly the mildly comic episode isn't so comical anymore, which is a nice touch I think, you know, it keeps the audience off balance and Edwin's concern for the child is nicely played. He was, you know, previously desperate to escape death but now he's begging to be taken himself. So, as always, spoiler warning for the ending. So to try and stop Mr. Death taking Maggie, he tries to delay him. With the only thing that he knows how to do, he makes a pitch. Ladies and gentlemen, if you will feast your eyes on probably the most exciting invention since atomic energy, a simulated silk so fabulously conceived as to mystify even the ancient Chinese silk manufacturers. An almost unbelievable attention to detail. Now this whole story is adapted from a previous teleplay that Rod Serling had made where a pitchman had to make a great pitch to protect his two-bit hood brother from gangsters. In that version, the protagonist made the pitch so the people would always be around him and his brother so that the gangsters couldn't get to them 
uh, so we adapted it for this episode. Of course, as we know, Lou succeeds. He manages to delay Mr. Death long enough so that he misses his midnight appointment to take Maggie. One of the major criticisms of this episode is that when Lou makes his pitch for the angels, he's not exactly mesmerizing. Are we really convinced that he could make this pitch and keep the Grim Reaper uh, so entranced that he misses his appointment with little Maggie. Edwin wasn't quite the type who could, you know, turn on a fast-talking patter that's gonna convince anyone really, never mind death. When I watch this episode, I always think of Jack Lemmon in a, a film called Glengarry Glen Ross, where he's a washed-up salesman struggling with the competition and you can still see how he turns on his salesman charm even if he doesn't quite get the results that he wants but with Wayne he doesn't quite have that ability but but saying that and to give him his due if you compare that opening scene with his half-hearted sales pitch to the delivery that he gives at the end when he's making the pitch to Mr. Death you can see that he's actually pitching his heart out. Now he's determined and passionate. He believes in what he's selling, or rather he believes in why he's selling it. We can see the kind of man he was, that he didn't really equate money with happiness. I mean, just look at the beginning of the episode where after a poor day of sales, he comes back to the neighborhood. He gives the toys away for free to the kids because that's what made them happy. And it's these small glimpses that make you understand Lou Buckman. The, the pursuit of wealth meant nothing to him. He wasn't a passionate salesman because he already had everything he wanted in life. He had a roof over his head and he had the adoration of his friends and neighbors. He was already rich with the things that he found important. And he pitched his heart out when that was threatened. So we might question the effectiveness of the pitch, but I don't think we can really question the heart with which it was given. So would Mr. Death be convinced by Lou Buckman's pitch? Probably not. But I like to think he doesn't really have to be. Now we've already seen that businesslike as he is, Death isn't unsympathetic. He grants Lou that extra time to try for his pitch for the angels, even though it doesn't quite fit in with the unfinished business rule. And you can see that he's actually affected by Lou Buckman's distress at not having anything to keep him from dying. So the way I like to see it is Mr. Death knew exactly what he was doing. He never intended to take Maggie. He let Lou have his pitch for the angels and more than that he let this good-hearted man die without any fear or regret. And with a sense of contentment and happiness and also a sense of achievement that he didn't have before. Was that Rod Serling's intention? I don't know. But I think it's a nice way of looking at a very nice episode. Because I think as episodes of The Twilight Zone go, I wouldn't call it a favourite of mine. But in the series as a whole, I'm glad that it exists. Well, I, I guess it's time for me now. As per our agreement. Now, I'm ready. After you, Mr. Fulton. Oh, Excuse me, I forgot something. I'll be back in a minute. You never know who might need something up there. Up there? Up there, Mr. Bookman. You made it. Louis J. Bookman. 
age 60-ish. Occupation, pitchman. Formerly a fixture of the summer. Formerly a rather minor component to a hot July. But throughout his life, a man beloved by the children. And therefore, a most important man. Couldn't happen, you say? Probably not in most places. But it did happen in the Twilight Zone. So let's hear what one of the listeners to the Twilight Zone podcast has to say about one for the angels. Hello, Tom. First, may I say many thanks for setting up the Twilight Zone podcast. Like yourself, I was completely hooked on the late night reruns that screened in the 80s of this show. As for years and years, I'd heard tales about the, the jolting episodes it featured, but couldn't actually see any. So when they began running them right from the start, I was there like a shot. Now, back then, I was quite surprised to discover that the old Twilight Zone has a very whimsical streak at times. People always talk about the strange sci-fi twist ends or the really spooky horror episodes, but they often fail to mention that there's a lot of stories that are actually just very sentimental and charming. And One for the Angels is an excellent early example of this style. Now, although back then as a, an effects and gore crazed teenager, I didn't really care much for these more gentle stories. Over the years, you come to appreciate them more and more. And One for the Angels is a great favourite of mine. It's touching without being overly smaltzy and just weird enough to keep you on edge. The interplay between Ed Wynn and Murray Hamilton is top-notch. I particularly like the way death is portrayed in this story as a kind of amiable but efficient fellow rather than the usual satanic figure we get. And Hamilton brings a slightly odd edge to his performance in that you never quite believe he's just a man in a suit and you never forget what he actually is even when he's being very charming. In short, it's a lovely little tale, and one that would slot in well between two of your favourite uplifting and heartwarming Christmas films, I think. Keep up the excellent work. Cheers. Thanks for that, Jim. Thanks for the, thanks for the words of support. Uh, that definitely means a lot. And also your, your thoughts on One for the Angels. Now, I will say as well, if you, if you enjoyed Jim's input then why not check out his podcast at hypnagoria.blogspot.com. Um, it's a wonderful laid-back podcast, you know, with uh, readings of obscure stories and that kind of thing. So definitely worth a listen. Definitely worth a listen to take some time out and, uh, and relax too. So if you'd like to leave some feedback like Jim did, you can write to me at feedback at the twilight zone podcast.com and i'll see you next week for the next episode mr denton on doomsday bye bye